Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast. I'm Manu Veth, he's Stefan Bierbikowski. And Stefan, first of all, how is your Monday treating you? Yeah, I can't complain. Uh, new week, new possibilities. Uh, I had a really good weekend of watching a lot of football. So, uh, and as we're about to discuss on this show, plenty <laughs> to dig into, shall we say? Yeah, tons to dig into. Uh, my weekend is still ongoing, so I'm sorry. <laughs> it's family day in Canada today, so um, happy family day, I guess. Enjoy the day with your family. I'm pretty sure the government just created this holiday, so we have a day off in February, or to be aligned with the U.S. I think it's President's Day in the United States, so um, they get to celebrate. They see now president. I get to celebrate my family. Um, the choice is yours, which I'm just better. <laughs> it, 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 it does sound like the most Canadian holiday ever, to be honest. Very wholesome, very polite. Uh, nothing yeah. less than you'd expect. That's true. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, yeah, and as you said, we have lots to discuss today. Um, really looking forward to this podcast because, you know, um, I want to mention this right off the, the start before we go into the ad and everything else is um, we had a ton of feedback this weekend on our Substack chats, multiple chats, I should say. The match day chat, I think, clocked in at just under 800, Stefan, which is just crazy, 800 comments on the on that chat. Um, so if you're not a subscriber yet, I highly recommend subscribing because just that feature alone gives you such a great community of Bundesliga fans that just want to do nothing else but chat about the games. And it's not just Bayern fans. And I think we clocked in at 500 even before Bayern kicked off, right? So... Um, yeah, really, really cool community. And from that community, we're going to have a lot of comments today. Um, so if you're still on the fence about signing up and you're looking for a community to discuss the Bundesliga, I think the Substack will be just the place for you. So yeah, check that out. Um, Stefan, we have a lot to talk. Let's uh, head into the ad and then chat about the Bundesliga match day. This episode of the Gegen Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. BetOnline continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With all the up-to-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with game, in-game live betting contests and all the best player props. Experience the world's wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. Head to the BetOnline today to become part of the team and remember to use your promo code BELIEVE for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online. The game starts here. All right. Um, yeah, I think we had some comments, um, and I think we're going to structure that the podcast pretty much around them. So, Stefan, um, fire away. What do you want to start with today? Uh, should we start with Leipzig versus Gladbach? Um, we had pl- quite a few comments on that. Um, quite. I mean. A result that I think we both... Well, actually, I, I predicted a draw for this game, so I don't know what I'm talking about predicted. It's quite the opposite. But um, not one that was that surprising. Um, Leipzig looked a lot better. I think you actually watched this game, if not mistaken. I I didn't get a chance to watch it all. Um, but um, it looked to me very much like Leipzig kind of got back on track. Um, we got some comments, as you said, from subscribers. We had so many um, comments in the listener chat on the Substack app that uh, I had to start a second chat 
just to ask people for their thoughts for the show. Uh, and I had to make sure they let me know what club they were talking about because there's just so much to read through. But I do have some uh, from this game. I'll talk about Leipzig very quickly just because Justin, who I think is our resident RB Leipzig fan, if not mistaken, he said the key word for this result was balance. With Paulson holding it, with Paulson holding it up and distributing it, it brought Olmo in from the right. Xavi dynamic as always, but more connected to teammates. Haidara and Schlager playing as the, as the number sixes, but were both box to box connecting back to front. Equal attacking in terms of left center and right wings. So balance between Ralm and Hendricks and the midfielders. Finally, Sesko and Baumgartner as dynamic subs to keep the intensity up. Loved it. Um, so it was a very good result for Leipzig, but I think what we probably want to talk about here is Gladbach. Um, two comments from some concerned Gladbach fans. Vic says, I honestly can't believe this is the same Gerardo Siona who had young boys flying high and then had that remarkable first season with Leverkusen. Is it just that he's been found out since that first two months of the year two at Leverkusen where they went 2-2-8 two, two, and eight before getting canned? 2-2-8, I'm assuming is obviously the kind of North American shorthand for a form. So two wins, two draws and eight defeats. Uh, or, is it, or is it just some unfortunate squad planning and untimely injuries? Um, and then Sam added, is Gladbach, or are Gladbach in my opinion, going to be involved in the relegation fight? Do they need a managerial change? So that feels like the best place to start, doesn't it, Manu? There's just a lot of people wondering what's going on with Gladbach and Gerardo Siona. I've got quite a lot of thoughts, but do you want to jump into this one first? Well, I mean, the form table is is horrendous uh, since the start of the, the second half of the season, right? Um, just two points for five games. They're the bottom um, of the Rückrunde Tabelle, um, uh, so the second half of the season table. Um, just two goals scored, which is the fewest in the league since we... We started the second half of the season. Um, what surprised me a little bit here is that Gladbach um, have the highest XG um, of any team in, in the league. Well, the highest XG plus, right? The the Bundesliga calls the shot effectiveness. Uh, That's from the Bundesliga.com app, right? Um, they, call it, they, they call it that. But it's essentially that the XG is like... Um, what's your XG and how many goals did you score? And Gladbach scored uh, 5.4 more goals than the XG suggests, which makes me think that maybe they outperformed um, in the first half of the season. And, um, you know, this is was, this, this struggle has actually been a long time coming. It's just, I think it's a combination of things, really. I think that Zioane um, was given a project that was in, in great turmoil, all the major players leaving, right? Um, I mean, Turam and Hoffman are just two of them, right? And uh, this is a squad in, in, in transition in many ways. And um, I think they always knew that they were going to go through a more turbulent year. Um, I think in some ways they actually played better in the first half of the season than many of us expected. Um, now getting maybe pulled back. I think the results are worse than than what they should be. So are they going to be in a relegation fight? Here's why I think they might be just fine is because I think the bottom three teams in the Bundesliga are so bad that not many teams are going to get dragged into this, Stefan. But um, at the same time, I think this these, these tendencies and the form as it is at the moment is extremely worrying for Gladbach. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I can understand if Gladbach fans are concerned, especially with the teams below them. I mean, you're right, there are kind of three distinguished teams, but um, between Mainz and Cologne, they've actually picked up two wins in the last three match days. Um, obviously, Mainz picking up a rather unexpected win over Augsburg uh, in that match day. Um, I was kind of thinking about this um, this afternoon, actually, before we started recording, and... I think I would go so far as to say that at the start of the season, the Gladbach job was probably one of the most difficult ones for any head coach to take on. Um, if you consider, and now obviously that's not to say they're the worst team in the division and they're the hardest keep in the pro- keep keep promoted or keep from relegation rather, because obviously there's Darmstadt, uh, you know, Cologne and Mainz have their issues. You know, Mainz are on their third head coach of the year, for example, so they've certainly got their problems as well. But in terms of just the absolute mess of that club's in right now, um, I'm struggling to think of a, of a club that really needs a, a, a strong summer window as much as Gladbach just to rhyme off some pl- some star players that they lost in the last two seasons Jonas Hoffman, Lars Stindl uh, Marcus Turam Ben Zabaini uh, Jan Sommer, Matthias Ginter that's just in the last two seasons alone that's well, one, two, three, four, five, six key players I know some Dortmund fans might scoff at Ben Zabaini I know maybe had his head down once he kind of uh, in his final season at the club because he obviously wants to move on and he had to leave it on a Bosman but you know Jan Sommer one of the best goalkeepers in the division Matthias Ginter has obviously gone on to Freiburg and is kind of knocking on the door of the German national team again Jonas Hoffmann's did a fantastic job at Gladbach uh, sorry at um, Leverkusen Marcus Turams did a fantastic job in uh, Italy uh, Lars Dindel obviously moves up, moved on and one thing that really stood out to me actually was that last season Stindl, Turab and Hoffman alone made up 66% of Gladbach's goals in the league last season. So that's your three, not just your top goal scorer, your three top goal scorers. And that's not even considering the 23 assists that they bagged between them as well. So, you know, Gladbach completely decimated an attack. The season before, they'd been completely decimated in defence by the fact that Jan Sommer and Matthias Ginter left. Ben Zabaini moving on to a lesser extent, but still a problem. Um, and this team's just an absolute shell of what it should be. All of that, by the way, wrapped into the kind of years of turmoil under Max Eberl moving on. Um, he's now moved on. The club's former youth academy director, if I'm not mistaken, is now kind of taking on that role. But, you know, this isn't something Rome wasn't built in a day to use a over over ex, overly used expression, and you know I honestly think the people at Gladbach are probably looking at Sion and saying just keep us out of relegation, and we'll be delighted with that because everything you see about Gladbach right now is just an absolute disaster. They they've brought in players who've either been injured or maybe too young. You even look at that kind of backline um, in the game against uh, Leipzig at the weekend and. There's just a lot of kind of ifs and buts over a lot of the players in that team. Um, some players are underperforming. Some players aren't quite living up to expectation. Um, some players have come into the club and not kind of lived up to it. Um, and another stat that I think is really damning is that so far this season, they've dropped 23 points from winning positions. So they're just completely incapable of more or less competing at this level right now. And... Six points off the relegation spot is probably exactly where they should be. And I honestly think if Siona just could keep them in a division this year, they can move on a lot of the dead wood in that team. Um, you know, 
Uh, I'm talking about Neuhaus. I'm talking about Coney. Guys like that who have just been kind of waiting around to leave for a number of years now. Then if there's ever a club that has to just completely wipe the slate clean, uh, the, the slate clean rather, um, and, 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 and try and give that manager or the head coach a bit more time, I think it's probably Gladbach and Siona. Yeah, and I mean, they brought in a lot of young guys in on uh, promoted players from their own academy as well, right? Um, Luca Nets so comes to mind. Um, Reitz is a great story, but I mean, the truth is also like that he's he's still learning to to, to kind of get used to the Bundesliga, right? Um, um, and then, of course, you know, they had, um, I'm just going through this cup. You know, one of the more experienced players in this lineup is someone like Joe Scully, who is still like only twenty years old, right? So, yeah. it's a, it's a very young team, and um, I think um, when you look to who they lost, um, I completely it escaped my name. The guy who went back to Karlsruhe, Stefan. We mentioned his name earlier. Stindl. Ah, Stindl. Thank you. Wow, <laughs> that's a brain fart in the morning, right there. Anyways, he's. I think like even though like he was getting older and um, you know he was the kind of player that you didn't don't necessarily rely, could have relied on a ton of production anymore. The truth is also that he was a leader in that dressing room, right? Yeah. And so um, you take that structure out, you have to you have to create new structures within the dressing room, a new leader, a new leadership py- 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 pyramid, and that is, I think, really really difficult to do. Um, and I think too, let's say, you know, the other thing is too, let's say they were 12 and six points of relegation. Would we be as worried as if they were 15th and six points of relegation? Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, obviously they're 15th now, but it's still six points. And as I pointed out earlier, there's a lot of teams below them that are just not very good. Can I just make one final point on this before we maybe move on? Another thing that I've seen a lot of Gladback fans point out is that at the start of both the Hinrunda and Rukrunda, um, they've played three of the top four in their first six games. So obviously since since the turn of this year, they've played Stuttgart, um, a good Augsburg side, uh, Bayer Leverkusen, Bayern Munich. They played Darmstadt, uh, which they probably should have won, but they drew that one. And then of course they played Leipzig. Um, they've then got Bochum, Mainz, Cologne, Heidenheim, Freiburg, Wolfsburg. And, you know, there's a lot more, far more winnable points in that kind of stretch of games. And I think that's probably where we'll see the real Gladbach um, and, and, and what they're actually really capable of um, between now and end of the season and whether they can keep relegation at arm's length. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess we're going from a negative story to a positive story then of the second half of the season. That's Werder Bremen. We had a comment on that. Yeah, we did. We had Kappa, who said Werder Bremen have been one of the best teams in the Bundesliga in 2024. Is it Europe? Is Europe a reality considering Eintracht Frankfurt's weak form? What changed at Werder? And of course, we're talking about the 1-0 win over Cologne at the weekend. Um, he's absolutely right, Manu. Um, Werder have <laughs> been one of the team. They've been one of the teams of the um, 2024. I did my. Um, manager power rankings weekend week before last I think and you know the Werder Bremen head coach Werner was right up there um second or third in the list so the numbers speak for themselves don't they yeah they really do I mean they are currently uh third with four wins from what five um and in the Rückrunden tabelle um you know that's pretty much as 
perfect of a season you can play for a club like Werder Bremen if you win the first four games. I mean, if you win the first four games um, of the Henrono or Rückrunde, you're in a really good place, right? And, um, you know, as a result, they... I looked at the table um, yesterday when the dust settled on the on the match there, and I'm like, oh wow, we had a Prima seventh. Um, both you and I got a little bit of flack for not pointing out how well Bremen played against Bayern Munich when Bayern Munich lost the, the game. And you know what? Um, maybe rightfully so too, because it often gets lost when Bayern Munich lose. The narrative is, oh my God, Bayern Munich lost. Let's talk about Bayern Munich for ten minutes, right? Whereas maybe the narrative should oftentimes be, well, Bayern Munich lost because the opponent beat Bayern Munich. Um, and they did have a perfect match plan for that game. And, you know, it shows that it wasn't a fluke. Oftentimes you see these teams beat Bayern Munich and then drop off. Not Werder Bremen, you know. And the thing is, can they catch Frankfurt? Um, we're just four points ahead of them in, in the Bundesliga standings. Now, depending on how things go... Right, because like one of the part of the question was um, in Europe, depending on how things go, seventh place could be enough to qualify for Europe as well. Right, um, Leverkusen win the cup, that seventh place is a Conference League spot, for example. Right, um, I'm not a hundred percent sure what happens when if the Bundesliga gets a fifth Champions League spot, if that then also gets delegated one place down, or if they get converted into a Europa League spot. I'm not a hundred percent sure. They the Champions League rules for next year still remain a little bit of a mystery for me. So excuse me for that. But um, there is a very good chance seventh will be enough to qualify for Europe. And that's where they are. And you know what? When I look at Werder Bremen at the moment, I don't see a reason why they couldn't finish ahead of Freiburg or Hoffenheim. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you look at the teams they've got coming up as well, um, a lot of winnable games there. They've got Darmstadt, Hoffenheim, uh Dortmund, who we'll talk about in a moment, don't look like world beaters by any means. Uh, Union Berlin, who are of course looking much better, but obviously below them in the table. Wolfsburg, and then, you know, as Kappa said, Eintracht Frankfurt come up. And then they've got a tougher doubleheader against Leverkusen and Stuttgart, um, mm. and in Leipzig two weeks before the end of the season. So, you know, we might see by then where Bremen are, but they've got plenty of road in front of them to run into. Um, the only thing I kind of want to add on Bremen is just how remarkable the defence has been this season. Um, when they got promoted, was it the year before last or was it last season? I think it was last season. Um, last I wrote quite year a was lot. their first year back, right? Yeah, so that's two, right, yeah. yeah. Um, I wrote quite a lot about how they were just this kind of all-out attacking team who would really blitz teams and more or less mm. just try and score more than they could. Um, they've obviously made a huge change this season. Um you know, in the last 10 games, they've only conceded nine goals, which is the fourth best record in the Bundesliga. And I actually went back to see what was the kind of main difference between how they've kind of changed this. And the one thing that's really stood out to me is the change in goalkeepers. Pavlenka's been dropped out in Zetter, or Michael Zetterer has kind of stepped in as the first choice goalkeeper. And like the change, that was on match day eight that that change was made. And the change has been incredible since then. Uh, if the league had started, the league season had started that day, Bremen would be seventh to the table right now. Uh, overall, they got the third best record. Um, and the thing that I think is also quite interesting, which kind of points out that it's also not just a goalkeeper making wonder saves, is that uh, Zethra is actually facing 21% fewer shots per game than Pavlenka. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there. Team itself is obviously far more comfortable. 
Uh, we've talked a lot over the course of the season about the kind of shell shock of losing uh, Phil Krug um, like in the 11th hour of the transfer window and the way that Marvin Dukes has managed to continue being that kind of talisman up front with you know guys like Michael uh, Mitchell Weiser, uh, you know Romano Schmidt and guys like that as well. Um, it's all feels like it's just kind of all slowly but surely coming together. But I think the really key thing for Bremen, the thing that maybe makes it um, or makes should make fans more hopeful than anything else, is that they seem to really nail down what to do in defense. And as a result, they're actually one of the most kind of rock solid teams in the Bundesliga right now. Yeah, and I mean, some of the signings that they've done uh, have panned out really well, right? Um, I look at Justin Neymar, who they brought in on loan from uh, Borussia Dortmund. I think that was kind of involved in the, the Fulcook deal as well. Um, that that the transfer worked out really well. Nick Woltemade, who they brought in from Elvisberg, 22-year-old centre-forward, he, he's looking like a very promising player. Um, you know, we, we laugh a lot about uh, Navi Keita not having worked out. And there was, I think, some hope that would he come back from the Africa Cup and inform. But um, <laughs> breaking news, he's injured again. But, you know, they have since reacted to that and brought in uh, Skelly Alvero from Olympic Lyon. So, you know, the, it, it's just, it just feels like they, they have made the right conclusions on, on, the, on the transfer market to ensure that they have a squad that is very competitive. And yeah, I think good things are happening in Bremen. I mean, we spoke, what was it, two weeks ago, Matt and I did a show on, on investor deals in Stuttgart and Bremen. And um, it was really interesting to, to break down this sort of know-how that Bremen are bringing in from from the region to ensure that the club is a more solid or more solid footing. So, you know, oftentimes um, it's, the, it's the whole environment that we create as a club to be competitive and I feel like Bremen are on a really good path yeah no absolutely um, and you know as the listener Kappa pointed out you know they're now on course to potentially catch Frankfurt and yeah they deserve all the credit in the world this episode of the Gigging Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs including pro and college hoops throughout the year with all the up-to-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with game, in-game live betting contests and all the best player props. Experience the world's wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. Head to the Bet Online today to become part of the team and remember to use your promo code BELIEVE for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, the game starts here. Totally. All right. Um, I think Dortmund is next, right? Yeah, let's do Dortmund. So we've got quite a lot of Dortmund fans <laughs> get in touch after that 1-1 draw against Wolfsburg. Um, this is the game that I watch, so I've got plenty of uh, things to say about it, but probably going to be here for 10 minutes just reading out these these uh, comments, so just bear with me. Um, can I, before we say anything else, before we go bad on Dortmund, there's one positive I want to point out. Niklas Füllkrug is looking like in real good form right now. Yes, yes. Uh, so I'll I'll just read out these comments and maybe we can just use that to kind of uh, frame how we want to talk about this game. Uh, Ken says, Another frustrating end to a Dortmund game with points left behind. I was surprised by the methodical one-speed play on the attack in the final 10 minutes and again, too much lateral passing and nothing going forward. And I still don't understand how they continue to struggle with defending set pieces. 
Cobell saves, and then there's four or five Wolfsburg players waiting for the rebound with only one Dortmund player near the ball. Benjamin says, Tactics seem to continue to be lost in the wilderness. I cannot fathom the reasoning to bring Fulkrug off or Makuku. Two-striker Luke was needed. Not more of the same. Joel says, and he's agreeing to Benjamin actually, I think. I agree. I would have taken off Brandt. It's not his best game in coming back from illness. And then Jonathan says, Same bad performance all year, regardless of what the results have shown. And it has to be nearing the point where Vatska and Kell, given he's a likely replacement for Vatska, decided decide that Terzic has to go. Totally understand the squad is simply not good enough, but at the same time, Terzic's job is to get the best out of the players he has to work with. It's hard to argue that he's coming close to getting the best out of them because there isn't enough talent to perform better than this. Also, the lack of attack-minded players is totally against Dortmund's DNA because Dortmund and high-octane offensive play are one in the same in my and many others' minds. It would be a tough decision because he's such a likeable guy, but character only goes so far when on-the-pitch performances are this bad and the football being played is this far from the club's typical style. So I think I think those four guys have actually summed it up really well, Manu. Um, this was a match which I thought Dortmund more or less struggled with since they scored the goal, um, which, as you said, full Krug again. And... You know, it was an interesting game because I thought, you know, considering the way the Wolfsburg have been playing recently, um, they've struggled for points, they've struggled for results. Uh, they themselves have looked like a team who are just waiting for the head coach to be sacked. Um, but in this game, it was the complete opposite. Wolfsburg looked like a team who had cohesion. They knew how to play. They knew how to pass around Dortmund. They created a huge amount of chances. They finished the seat, finished the game actually with a higher XG than Dortmund. Um and, you know, if, if I'd plopped someone down in front of this game who had never seen a Bundesliga game before and said, one of these teams is nosediving towards relegation and on the verge of sacking their head coach, and the other one is pushing for top four, they would have probably said Wolfsburg with the team pushing for top four and Dortmund with the team in trouble. Um, and I've got to agree with the Jonathan and Joel, Benjamin and Ken, in the sense that it was yet again another game in which Dortmund's just kind of looked lost for ideas i actually summed up on twitter by saying uh they're sleepwalking to irrelevance that's just honestly how i feel dormant are this season yeah i think that that last point that you make is is um is actually right on right on um because i think terzic's biggest fortune this season is that you have a Leverkusen team that is rocking the league, walking towards the title, and you have a Bayern Munich team that is continuously shooting themselves in the in the foot um, and producing a ton of headlines, and he can try to live in the shadow of that without having to worry about too many consequences. Because how many people are talking about um, how many people are talking about Borussia Dortmund at the moment in the context of the Bundesliga? Right, any other season they would now be trailing Bayern Munich by this amount of points, um, and the title race would be over, and we would be complaining about toothless, boring football. But it wouldn't matter because you know uh, we would be focusing on on Dortmund making it too easy to them. But I think like because um, we have Leverkusen and we have all this drama in Munich, Terzic is almost getting a free ride. 
is it just me who feels like that or is it you know like we have almost forgotten talking about them because they're irrelevant <laughs> still irrelevant to what's going on in the Bundesliga they're not irrelevant not even relevant in the in the Champions League race because oh look there's Stuttgart hey actually could Stuttgart catch Bayern Munich and finish second right and so they're not even relevant in that conversation and so yeah I think you summed it up so well they're just irrelevant like we don't even like we haven't even spent as much time talking about them recently because we've been so focused about this Leverkusen Bayern Munich title race and um, it's I think that is something that Dortmund I, I, I think Terzic and Dortmund are maybe saying okay well great we're out of the spotlight but you're out of the spotlight for all the wrong reasons and as I said, the one positive about the Dortmund team is that Füllkrug is in, in fantastic form, um, which is good news for Germany because all of a sudden you have two or three strikers who could who could uh, lead this this team in in the Euros next summer, right? But everything else about this team just screams boring and irrelevant. Yeah, I think you make a really good point actually about how they've been able to hide more or less because Leverkusen have stepped in as the title contenders elect and obviously done a much better job of it than Dortmund have in over the last, what, 10 years, I guess. And, yeah, and the, the kind of sad thing for Dortmund is that it's almost as if they prefer that. They prefer not being in the limelight. They prefer not having any attention on them. And the sad thing is, is that it's not even like they can just go about their business and slowly but surely pick up results because they've been more or less... It's not as if Terzic has gone away and, 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 and rebuilt his team or pull together a system during the winter break and, and they, they play a different style of football or tactics or formation. It's just more of the same old stuff. And I think what the guys are getting a point on, particularly Jonathan in the comments, is is really important actually about the way Terzic plays football. The really weird thing about Terzic at Dortmund is that, and we've talked about this um, during the group stages of the Champions League, and I'm sure it'll come up when we cover the Champions League games this week, but the most comfortable I've seen Terzic or Terzic's Dortmund is in the Champions League when they come up against these huge clubs and they can play super defensively and react to the tactics that their team are bringing towards them. Whenever Dortmund have been asked to kind of break teams down or to dominate games or to be a possession-based side, they really struggle. And you can see how that links in so easily with the mentality of this club right now where absolutely nobody wants to be kind of stand up and be counted as the second biggest club in Germany, which they more or less are by just about any metric. And, I mean, that that was on show in this Wolfsburg game. And the thing that really baffled me is that, obviously, you know, Wolfsburg score a second, uh, an equaliser just after the hour mark. And Terzic's decision to kind of try and win this game was to take off Marco Royce for Ozchan and play Ozchan and Emery Chan in central midfield. Now, maybe... Maybe passionate Dortmund fans could make a case for a formation where Emre Chan and Ozchan should be playing in midfield together. Maybe if you're playing in the Champions League against Real Madrid or Manchester City, that's a good move. But when you're trying to win a game against Wolfsburg away from home, what possesses you to bring on Sally Ozchan to instead of Marco Royce? And it's not even as if he then brought in more forwards there. He brought in Bino Gittins for me to replace Sancho. Okay, fair enough. Sancho had, had a pretty terrible game. And then he brings on Makuku to replace Fulcrude. Fulcrude, probably the only player who seemed really interested in doing anything in the final third. But if you, if, you, if you add all those players together, he's actually took off one forward for a defensive midfielder and replaced two other forwards with two other forwards. So Dortmund actually had fewer attacking players on the pitch 
after his substitutions and in a you one know, one must <laughs> yeah and it's exactly why Wolfsburg finished the game in a much stronger position than Dortmund did so it's it's entirely baffling and it just kind of leads to my constant criticism of Terzic that his, these teams don't really seem to have any cohesion and they simply rely on individuals to be outstanding uh, that's what Phil Crook has done in the last kind of couple of weeks mm-hmm. it's what yep. Jadon Sancho did when he came in and got those two assists in his first two games no one was really outstanding in this game but I think the one candidate was maybe Matson at left back and the way that um, I mean I've got their pass maps in front of me and like, he was really the kind of um, I think he's been a good team. signing I think he's been a good signing too, but I think it's really telling that this young left back has come in and without any real direction or without any real impetus from the coach, the rest of the team have just elected him to be the outball in this team simply because no one else seems to want it. And in a game in which Marco Royce looked quite jaded, in a game in which, as um, I think it was Joel that maybe said, uh, Brand was coming back from a serious illness, there was no one else in that team that was really standing up to be counted. And... It's just, it's just really turgid stuff. It's really depressing stuff, and I can completely understand why Dortmund fans are sick of it. But it also just leads to this wider issue with Dortmund, where no one really seems that interested in getting them back to where they should be in German football. Yeah, I mean, like the 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 Mukuku for Fulkuk one is something that baffles me because there's there's strong evidence out there that the two of them actually play really well together. Right, so um, I can't remember which game it was, but it was one of the few good performances by Dortmund where they started together, and it actually seemed really, it was like really kicking off. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think this is also one of the main criticism fans have in general. I mean, when we had Matt on the show too, um, he points it out quite often. Right, it's the like for like replacements and uncreative substitutions that bothers a lot of Dortmund fans and. This is just another example. Um, and you know what? At the end of the day, they're going to sleepwalk to a top four finish. Um, and that will be enough. <laughs> that will be enough. As, at the, as, long as, as long as the accountants <laughs> at Westfalenstadion are happy, then who cares what everyone else yep. thinks? Yeah, exactly. So that's just how it's going to be at Dortmund as long as someone like Watzke is counting the money. Um, think of Uncle Dagobert sitting in his uh, big safe. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I guess that that brings us to the the, the final topic, which is uh, Bayern slash. Or do we have a, did we have a question about Leverkusen as well? Do we want to do that first? Because they've been another positive story. Uh, I don't have anything about Leverkusen. I think there was one comment about from Tom Mennard about Leverkusen are humming. Um, this is the sort of result oh, that yeah. they needed. Uh, Tom said that the Leverkusen did enough to maintain momentum. Nothing spectacular, yeah. but their tactics allowed the team to play after a very emotional week. So, yeah, I didn't catch yeah. this game, so there's not much I can add to it. But yeah, another no. You know result. what? They got the job done. It was they went to Heidenheim, which is a really difficult place to play. I think uh, for a lot of teams, and um, they got the job done. Um, I actually thought it was a very convincing performance. Yes, they conceded late, um, but. At the end of the day, um, if you get your three points there and you move on, and now we can talk about Bayern and Bochum because they increased their gap to eight points. Um, you mentioned earlier that, uh, what was it? 
Um, Bremen still have two tough games against Stuttgart and Leverkusen towards the end of the season to, to cement a top seven finish or top six finish, whatever you need. I don't think Leverkusen will be caring very much at that point anymore, Stefan, because <laughs> the <laughs> title competitor, um, there's a good chance that gap could grow to 11 points next week, the way Bayern Munich has been playing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I'll just read out some actually uh, subscriber comments that we have for this game because, uh, as you'd expect, yeah, not all Bayern tasty. fans. Um, it's like, I mean, Bayern are single handedly blowing up our um, chat every weekend, that's for sure. Um, Nate says, Matthias Tell appears to be deserving of more, uh, more opportunities, was one of the bright spots today. Usually gives it all when he's coming off the bench. Just think he should get more than 10 minutes. Gets more, get more than the 10 minutes he gets now. Uh, Richard said, Bayern need, Bayern's need for a true number six was really evident today. Musiala would lose the ball. Can't fault him. It's going to happen. At least he's making things happen. But it shouldn't automatically turn into an easy counterattack. There needs to be a proper defensive cover in midfield. Kimmich is clearly unable to do that. As Steve said, funny game, atrocious result and a bad performance from Bayern, but not quite as bad on the XG, right? Not Thomas Tuchel's fault for playing him today, no better options I guess, but it's very hard not to think that the narrative about Meccano just folding in the absolute high pressure moments is warranted. No centre-back looked great today either, of course, but if you're bringing in another centre-back this summer, it's Open Meccano who should be losing his spot, not Delict. And then Mike said, with all the focus on Bayern, it's very easy to ignore just how well Bolkin played today and created several great opportunities. The home form is great, only one defeat and have beaten both Stuttgart and Bayern since the recruiter started. If they continue like this, they should easily be safe uh, and will be another great season for Thomas Lech. So, yeah, a lot to talk about there. A lot of people point fingers. Um, I've seen on social media all day um, a lot of big Bayern accounts, uh, a lot of reports saying who's going to be uh, or the earmark to place Tuchel, whether Tuchel's going to be moving on. Um, yeah, I mean, what what was your initial reaction from this game? I, I mean, first of all, I want to point out how well Bochum played. Um, because we, that often gets lost in the discussion whenever Bayern lose is how well the opponent played. And a lot of teams would have just melted away when Bayern made it 1-0, right? Um, and Bochum didn't. They responded. Um, they hit Bayern um, in the areas where Bayern are at their weakest, right? Um, I think both the the Asano goal, um, the Asano goal actually pointed out like, a couple things to me here and that Bayern Munich really, you know, they do lack that ability um, to, to hold the midfield. Um, it was Richard, right, who pointed out in the holding six. Um, and yeah, yeah, Musiala loses the ball and then Asano is off to the races. And I think from there on, you see the entire chain of Bayern Munich's defense collapse. There's no one in midfield to to fix his mistake. In fact, he, he he races past Kimmich. And then it's the sort of finish that Manuel Neuer in his prime would have probably stopped, right? Um, and, I mean, it was the same Hassan who, who scored against Germany at the World Cup, right? So um, the, the narrative here is actually quite fitting because, you know, um, there was also a goal where I think Manuel Neuer didn't look at his best. 
so you 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 see a couple of things here. The the structure of the the team isn't great, um, and then on top of that, you have individuals that are just not at their best anymore and are not playing in the positions where they are at their best. And so teams can exploit that, right? And Bochum did it in in really great fashion. Um, the second goal by Schlotterbeck. That's a corner kick that I think Manuel Neuer also needs to do better at. Um, you know, defensively, he's wide open, but Manuel Neuer is in the middle of nowhere looking almost lost. Again, I think prime Manuel Neuer has that. Um, and so this is what I meant when I wrote that article last week and when we did the podcast. Those are things Thomas Tuchel has no control over, right? Um, and opponents do a really good job at identifying. They can, they can now go to Bayern Munich and say, well, if we get the ball, we win it quickly in transition. There is no one in midfield who's really going to hurt us. Um, you know, they have a bunch of defenders who are not in, in top form or just simply not good enough who can be turned around. And they have a goalkeeper who is no longer unbeatable. And so teams like Bochum, they go in and say like, okay, we're down 1-0, but we're in the past, like two or three years ago when all these players were at the prime. And I, 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 we got this question a lot as well, right? In the chat, it's like, oh, why is it that like these same players played so well in 2020? Well, I have news for you. That's four years ago. <laughs> you know, like a lot of things can change in professional sports in four years, in four years. So the same players are not the same players anymore. And, you know, so four years ago, Bayern's make it 1-0. Um, and then they cruise to a four, five, six, seven nil victory over Bochum. Now the opponent says, "Okay, we're down, but let's take our chances." Oh, it's one-one. You know, we're in this game and we can win this game. And I think that is a huge difference. And the XG and all that sort of stuff. Germany led the XG of all nations at the World Cup in 2022 and still got knocked out in the group stage. It's one of many stats. It's a meaningless stat if if you're not able to to finish your chances or if you don't have the quality to chance to finish your chances. I mean, is it telling that Harry Kane's only goal came from his only touch in the box where he was wide left open because Matisse Tell essentially played made that chance happening? I mean, it's a symptom of two things. Bochum opponents play better against Bayern, and this Bayern team is just simply not invincible anymore. Yeah, uh, I think you've summed it up all really well there. Um, there's clearly um, huge issues with the squad. You know, we we look we dissected Bayern three or four different ways last week, and even by the end of the week, I think we had I had one subscriber asking me about why we didn't mention this, this, and this, and I had to say because we spent forty minutes talking about it on the Monday show, and we can't just keep going over the same stuff over and over again with Bayern. Um, so I'll try and avoid doing that in this situation. But you only have to look at a started 11 that went out against Bochum. And not only is that a cry for help, but it's also just the consequences of Bayern's transfer activity in the last two or three seasons and this disjointed way in which they've struggled to put together a proper squad. You know, as you said, Manuel Neuer between the net, um, way past his best. Two fullbacks in Mazarui and Guerrero, neither good enough um, to do that role as a full-time position. Delict question marks over him. Even Kim, I thought, looked quite poor in that game. Um, Kimmich and Goretzka, um, 
we could spend a whole episode talking about both of them, but let's just be honest, neither have really done anything right this season. You can argue whether it's tactical in the sense that they need a number six, which I think is a perfectly good thing to, perfectly good point to make. You know, I watched Liverpool the weekend and I watched how Endo was sitting in the heart of that midfield and how that allowed guys like McAllister and who would have thought Ryan Gravenberg to play like outstanding number eights and number tens? Um, I mean, maybe Kimmich and Goreska just need someone behind them so they can just go off and become attacking players. That's fine. But in this Endo current system... would have been a great signing for them. Yeah, exactly. Um, it doesn't have to be some 80 million euro Palina signing. It can be someone just a little smarter than that. Um, but everything comes back to the players that they have or haven't signed. Uh, and the fact that that front three behind Kane, Chupamoting and Thomas Muller, both have proved to be very useful squad players over the years, but the fact that both of them had to start this game just shows the issues in this team. And the fact that they had two empty slots on their bench going into this game uh, was incredible. So, you know, I haven't even talked about the players that had to come off the bench in terms of Meccano at right back, Eric Dyer coming on for Guerrero, Zaragoza, who, in my opinion, looks like a player not anywhere near ready enough to play for Bayern Munich, from what I saw against mm-hmm. Bochum, uh, who well, got... that's why he was that's why he was supposed to spend another half year in Zaragoza in in Spain, well, right? Exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was about to say, perfect example of the disjointed transfer policy at the club. Um, now, that's not all to say that Thomas Tuchel's without blame. Of course, you know, the way he conducts himself in public, the stories you hear about what's going on in the changing room, whether that's true or not, nobody knows. It's speculative, it's reported. Uh, it's nothing that I can add to. But as we said last week, one thing has to change or the other. Bayern, you have to accept that this entire squad has to go. Well, not the entire squad, but like easily 60 or 70% of it has to go and be replaced. A lot of money has to be spent. Um money that maybe should have been this shouldn't have been spent on Harry Kane who knows but there's and so it's either that or they replace Tuchel and they turn to someone like Xabi Alonso or Hones or maybe even Hansi Flick and say hey do you want to take a shot at this squad and if I'm being perfectly honest with you I don't think any self-respecting top-class head coach will take one look at this team and think yeah I can claw back 12 points in the Bundesliga or yes I can challenge for the Champions League uh, come May with this team and that ultimately is where I kind of land on this thing. You can complain about Thomas Tuchel to the cows come home, but if you put Pep Guardiola in this team, if you put Mikel Arteta in this team, if you put Xabi Alonso in this team, are they any? Are they going to get any better? Maybe marginally, but there's still going to be the huge structural flaws and issues in that squad. And I think everything just comes back to the way that Bayern have not performed properly off the pitch over the last two or three years been a lot of reports about Thomas Tuchel telling the squad that they're simply not good enough um, whether that's true or not the, the club heavily denies it right um, what I think is true is that Thomas Tuchel candidly pointed out to certain members of the team that they are maybe not as good as they think or maybe not the right player for the position that they want to play Joshua Kimmich comes to mind right now you can as you like to say you can argue till the cows come home whether that is the right approach or not. But fundamentally speaking, when you go to the very, very foundation of the issue, Thomas Tuchel is right, right? Mm. He's right in yeah. his complaints. He's right to say this team isn't good enough. He's right to say Joshua Kimmich is not a number six because when Bayern Munich won the travel, there was a number six in the squad and it wasn't Joshua Kimmich. And so um, you can argue, I think, about the way he delivers the message. 
but the message is still fundamentally right. And I think that is what is happening here a little bit is that there's a lot of clashing between the coach and the players because the play the coach is telling them the bitter truth. And because there's so many prima donnas in this team that they're getting heavily overpaid. And if you, you know, you look at the reporting now and they're like, the club is slowly but surely realizing that maybe some players in the squad are overpaid and that that did ruin the the structure of the salary structure of the club. I mean, we've even mentioned and reported this in the past about Leroy Sané and some of the other players, right? Um, very difficult to fix because now players that you do need to sign to long-term contracts, how do you keep them? Jamal Musiala and Alfonso Davies come to mind, right? How do you keep them? And also bring your spending back to a level that did fundamentally um, kind of show what Bayern Munich was. Like, Bayern Munich spent 100 million a year, um, 100 million plus 20 million a year on Hurricane, right? Um, and someone like Endo goes to Liverpool. Endo would have been the sort of player that Bayern Munich would have signed in the past, right? They would have gone to the other Bundesliga teams and signed cheap players and freer players. In recent years, they had to have started to get this obsession with Premier League players. Eric Dyer would have never, ever been bored in the previous, in the, in the generation that made define this Bayern Munich golden era. Never, ever would have not happened. A washed up Premier League player would have not joined Bayern Munich, you know? And that's, I think, where they just, they lost their ways in some ways. And um, I think Tuchel is addressing that. And I think it's, it, it, what's happening right now is that by addressing these things, it's sowing discontent. And that actually maybe makes me wonder if you can keep going with, you know, don't shoot the messenger. But I think that's exactly what's happening here. And so, you know, maybe part of a big rebuild is also going with a different coach. Whether that's Javi Alonso, I have my doubts. I, I personally think Alonso is going to stay in Leverkusen for another year. That's the message. I mean, you have everyone who's any decision maker at Leverkusen quite publicly saying this. So where do you go from here? It's, I think it's going to be very, very difficult. Yeah, I mean, you can say what you want about Thomas Tuchel, but he is almost honest to a fault when it comes to these kind of things. And as you said, he has been very vocal about the problems at Bayern's squad. Uh, and he obviously holds himself to very high standards that he expects the clubs employ him to match as well. You know, And that's usually why he falls out with these clubs. People often tout the times he's fallen out with Dortmund or PSG or laterally Chelsea, but in just about every circumstance, he was right. He was right to fall out with Dortmund over what happened there. And PSG did turn into a circus because of their own problems in the transfer window. And of course, Chelsea, um, you know, just turned into an absolute uh, mayhem under Todd Bowley in his, in his transfer signings. So he now arrives at Bayern Munich and he's, he's doing exactly what he's done at every single club. Now, the problem is that when he's in the midst of that, he pisses off football fans and he drives up the... Because... At the end of the day, football fans are loyal to their club. They're loyal to the players they've watched win trophies, win games, win titles. And just about every single Bayern Munich fan is going to side with a Thomas Muller or a Joshua Kimmich um, mm -hmm. or Emmanuel Neuer before they side with a Thomas Muller, uh, Thomas Tuchel. And that's the kind of issue that Dortmund find, uh, sorry, Bayern find themselves in, in the sense that Tuchel might be saying all the right things, either in front of cameras or behind closed doors, but it's up to them whether they're willing to address the, that that huge issue and really get to work in the transfer window. Yeah, it's as I said, it's a classic case of don't shoot the messenger. I think the messenger is getting shot here. 
it doesn't mean that I necessarily think that Tuchel is the right coach uh, to continue. Um, when the dust on the season settles, I don't think they're going to make a change during the season because I don't think it's going to change anything. And um, yeah, that's that's my final thoughts on this. Hey, um, really great what we had in terms of co comments, Stefan, uh, from the, the Substack chat. So I just want to point this out. One of the great features of our Substack is that you not only get the content that we produce, right, um, on top of the two free podcasts that we do, um, you get two bonus shows and you get an article from you, you get an article from Matt Ford and you get an article from me. You get also get this chat um, where you have um, a lot of people that are a huge Bundesliga fans and really good opinions. And, you know, um, it's also very different than a lot of social media that um, no one is going to throw anything at you, any stones at you for, for a take that you have. So it's it's a really, really good community. So I want to thank everyone um, who has reached out to us. And also, if you're still on the fence about signing up, it's a cool feature. Um, as always, this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Um, Stefan, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Uh, no, just to say, as always, a big thank you to everyone who subscribes, uh, everyone who listens to the show as well. That itself is a huge support. We appreciate it very, very much. Uh, and everyone who's also signed up to the YouTube channel recently as well. A lot of subscribers in the last kind of couple of weeks, and we're having a lot of fun over there as well. So. If you haven't already done so and you use YouTube a lot, please do consider subscribing. Absolutely. We'll be back later this week. Um, until then, off he does it. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.